Now, I remember when, when I first came into the church and I was exploring some churches, right? I would go to the church and the pastor would get up or somebody would get up and they would, they would start to, to read the, the scripture for the day. And I remember thinking, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to need to find a church that, uh, that tends to read one verse, not an entire chapter, because... I'd sometimes get lost as they were reading, and then I'd get frustrated, and then I'd, and then I'd start to tune out. And so don't worry, because we're going to journey through Numbers chapter 1, I promise you. But, I mean, I am, I am so excited for today, because really, we are journeying through a book that I was doing some research on, and it is the least preached through book in the Bible. And I, as stumbling upon that, I thought, no, surely not, right? Surely it's Leviticus or Lamentations or, you know, Jeremiah, because he just, the prophet Jeremiah goes through and he's just complaining all the time. In fact, he's known as the, as the weeping prophet, right? So why would anyone want to go and preach through, you know, Jeremiah, right? So I'm thinking, no, surely Numbers is not uh, that book. But then I realized uh, that Numbers falls right after Leviticus, and it made sense to me because, let's, let's be honest, right? January comes around and we say, all right, Lord, I'm going gr- to grow closer to you. And so I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to read it cover to cover. And then you start and you're, you start, you know, you're invigorated, right? And so you start in Genesis and you're going through Genesis and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And then you get to Exodus and you're like, okay, you know, your, your, your enthusiasm starts to wane a little bit in Exodus, let's be honest. And then you get to Leviticus and you just grit your teeth through it because you're like, no, I made the commitment. I'm going to read from cover to cover and eventually I'll end up in some good news. And so you end up in Leviticus and then you finish Leviticus out of principle. And then you get to Numbers chapter 1. And you say, oh, Lord, I need, to go, I need to go to your story in the Gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. I can't do this, Lord. I'm sorry. And I'll come back to Numbers. And then we never make it back to Numbers. And so we're going to be journeying through the book of Numbers nine weeks. And that includes the holidays. And I, I assure you, we are going to see the story of Jesus' birth in the book of Numbers. I assure you, it is there. It is actually uh, really powerfully there. Uh, uh, Don, can I ask you to go get the remote for me for the screen? Because my phone is not working, so we're going to have to use uh, the clicker. But as I, was, as I was kind of praying about, you know, Lord, what is a, what's a good book for this moment? And I was asking some of my mentors and some pastors that I hold in high regard, what, what was going to be some of their, uh, what, what books were they going to be preaching through for the end of the year? And Everyone that I spoke with was not seeing the same thing that I was seeing. And, and I praise the Lord for that because they're shepherding a local congregation. And so God is telling them, this is what your local congregation needs, not here's what the world needs to hear. But if you were to be asked by a friend, you know, hey, so-and-so, I, I, I kind of want to know what the Bible, you know, how the Bible speaks to our present day and age... You, oh, we got to go back here. I'm, 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 oh, it's, yeah, okay. I'm showing all my, all my stuff here early, but it's okay. We're going to get there. It's going to be good. Trust me. So if you were to ask, right, or if somebody was asking you, where would you, where should you go in the Bible to kind of study um, how God can speak to you in this present moment, this legit 2020, what a year. I mean, we have all had to change in some way, shape, or form, right? There's, there's 
I mean, it's such a difficult year. We will look back on this year, perhaps from eternity, and see it as a year where things changed permanently for us. Right? And so, where do you begin? And so, if a friend were to come to you, we might think, oh, Revelation, right? Because it talks about these beasts and the end of the world and, you know, all this stuff. Or you might think, well, we just need some, some it needs to be Christmas. Because let's be honest, some of you are already listening to Christmas music because you're hoping that it gets here sooner. Right? And so you'd say, well, we'll go to Matthew or go to one of the Gospels because it's full of good news. I would argue, if somebody were to ask me, I would say numbers. Because if the Bible is like a medicine cabinet, right? If we were to look at the Bible and it were to be a medicine cabinet, and we got asked, what is the remedy from God's medicine cabinet or, or the prescription from God's medicine cabinet for 2020, I would say it's the book of numbers. And so we're going to explore that. And so I ask that you would give me your patience because we have to we have to pause for a minute because numbers is not as uh, uh, flowy as we might like it to be. It doesn't quite flow off the tip of our tongue. And so for, for us to hear what God says, we need to, we need to pause. And so we're going to pause and we're going to say another word of prayer. Father, we, we pause here because we are about to embark on a journey that I think is, is just so perfect for our moment. But Lord, as we pause, we recognize that there are congregations around us that are also embarking upon journeys. There, are, there is the Atlanta North Seventh-day Adventist Church. There's the Chestity Seventh-day Adventist Church. There's the Duluth Adventist Church. There's, there's many churches. There's many, there's many Baptist churches and Methodist churches and, and Pentecostal and Presbyterian churches. And, and so, Lord, we know that there are, there are elders and there are pastors that are really trying to help their church members grow deeper in their relationship with you. And so, Lord, we ask as we pause that, that you would not only bless our local church, but that you would bless the local churches around us because 2020 has left nobody unscathed. And, Lord, as we pause for this moment, we ask that we might leave our ego at the door, that we might leave our presuppositions about this book at the door, and that we would just listen and that we would be attentive to what it is that you want to say to us. Lord, we thank you and we love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm a, I'm a history, I'm a fan of history, and so um, Winston Churchill rises to the scene in a moment not unlike ours, right? He, Neville Chamberlain gets voted out of being the prime minister, and here comes Winston Churchill, a cigar-smoking, uh, alcohol-drinking individual that, that just does not care who you are. In fact, there's a quote from Winston Churchill where it's, it's if, you can, if, you can, uh, if you don't have to stand, then sit. And if you don't have to sit, then lie down. Because he was known to just remain seated when high elected officials walked into rooms because he said, well, what's better than sitting? Lying down. And, I mean, Winston Churchill moved at his own pace, and yet he rises to the scene, and his very first uh, over-the-radio, radio broadcast to England is this. He says, I speak to you for the first time as prime minister in a solemn hour for the life of our country, of our empire, of our allies, and above all, of the cause of freedom. Hey, that sounds a lot like our moment. Right? A moment of darkness, a moment of division, a, a moment of, of infighting, in-battling, right? Who used to be our friends, we're kind of placing them on the fence a little bit. You know, who, who we used to ask to pray for us, where can, we've learned some things about them through their Facebook posts or, or, you know, conversations. And so we're not so willing to reach out and say, will you pray for me now? Because 
of, of things, right? Our moment is not unlike the moment that Winston Churchill rose into leadership during. I mean, it's World War II. The Nazi regime is, is pressing, and, and England starts to wonder after Blitzkrieg, after Blitzkrieg, if perhaps their nation might be swallowed up by the, by the Germans. And he comes on the scene as elected as prime minister, and he starts to speak to the people. And his words encouraged the nation to get through. There's something powerful about words. I mean, we take words, we, we dress them up, right? We make them look very well designed, and then we put them on our walls, or we, put them, we hang them up in the bathroom, or, or when you first walk into the house, it's, you're greeted with a quote, or we get them tattooed on our bodies, or we write them on our journals, or we take a, we take a screenshot and we place it on our phone so that every time we see the phone, we, we're reminded of, of a good word, a word spoken in, in, in season for us. And Winston Churchill knew how to use words. In fact, JFK says, in the dark days and the darker nights, when England stood alone, and most men, save Englishmen, despaired of England's life, he, being Winston Churchill, mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. Gone were the days where the, the leader goes out in front of his men with a sword and a spear or a shield and fights in the camp next to his soldiers. Gone were those days. Now the leaders sit behind a desk and they issue men to go into battle. And so how do you lead in that time when Winston Churchill, in the darkest moment in English history, rose to the occasion through words? He offered a word. Now, words, we, we tend to gravitate towards individuals, leaders, who know how to speak to our moment. And as we listen to these leaders speak, we start to do something that reflects who we listen to. In fact, we adopt the rhetoric of those we listen to. And so whoever we listen to, whoever we spend our time listening to, whether it's our, our favorite political analyst, our favorite author, our favorite TV show, our favorite musician, our favorite pastor, our mentor, whoever we give our ears to, we will adopt the rhetoric that they use. We will start to sound like them. And so the question that we have to ask today is, who are we listening to? Because if we are listening to anyone other than God during this moment, we are following a false leader who does not know how to get us into the promised land. In fact, what we see is leaders, when in time of crisis a leader arises, and it's always the same thing. They say, we can help you get to where you want to go. We can help you obtain that. That's good leaders. It's not like they're working with new content. They just know how to say it a different way. They know how to speak to us instead of speak at us. And so who are we listening to? Well, in the book of Numbers, what we find is we find a, a story that has already begun. We're jumping into a narrative that, that we're several chapters in, and yet we're beginning several chapters in. But in the book of Numbers, we have God, and he's just, he's just done the miraculous, right? He's, just, he's taken the, these, this ragtag bunch of slaves, and he's brought them out of slavery. He's brought them out of this oppressive regime, and he's bringing them into freedom. And yet, in this new freedom, they already have freedom. The minute that they left Egypt, they already had freedom. And yet, he's bringing them, guiding them like a shepherd into the promised land. 
And instead of them being unified, instead of them working with one another, they're divided. They're arguing about leadership, and they're arguing about racism, and they're arguing about all of these things. And so our narrative begins in Numbers chapter 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first of the second month in the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, by their families, by their fathers' households, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from twenty years old and upward, whoever is able to go out to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And then the rest of chapter 1 is really just them following through with what God has said. In fact, we might be able to outline the, the Numbers chapter 1 in this way. A vulnerable community, a valuable community, and a privileged community. In fact, Numbers is all about God guiding a community. And so how fitting is it that we would journey through this as a community in such a wilderness moment in our lives? And so what do I mean when I say a vulnerable community? See, they're told in verse 2, to take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel by their families, by their father's households, according to the number of names, every male head by head. They're told to go and take a census of everyone who can serve in the military. Now, this is not a nation of soldiers. This is not a nation where they're born, and if you're a son, you're born into the office of soldier, and and from the minute that you're a child, you're raised up in a way to where you will one day go and fight in war. It's not that, it's not a military state. It's it's a group of ragtag slaves that have been redeemed. They, They don't know what freedom is. They haven't been trained in war. They were trained to make bricks and to make them even when exhausted. They were trained to build these magnificent infrastructures for somebody else to the point where they would break because of exhaustion. They were trained to listen to somebody else tell them what to do. 400 years of listening listening to someone say, this is what your worth is, and this is what your life is. And so God speaks to Israel as, they've, as they're moving away from Mount Sinai, and he says, take a census of everyone age 20 and up who is a male who can serve in the military because they looted Egypt. When they were coming out of Egypt, they took all the possessions of gold and, and all these things, and they're in the wilderness, and there's this, this uh, tribe over here, this kingdom, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Amalekites and all of these, and they might attack them because why? They're... they're They're wandering through the wilderness with gold. I mean, could you imagine if you got in your car and you took, you went to the bank and you got all of your life savings? You took out everything that you own and you put it back in the car and then you started to just drive around to drive to your next destination? How uneasy would you feel? If somebody got a little bit too close, you might, you might, you might put on the horn a little bit, right? Because everything that you have is with you. And so you don't want somebody to, to crash into you and then you have to wait and then who knows if, if they, you know, they, they hit you and your door flies off and all of your money flies out the window, everything that you've worked for, right? I mean, you'd, be, you'd operate a specific way, right? And so here comes Israel and they're journeying through and God says, make an army. Take a census for a military because you are vulnerable. Now, 
This is the Battle of Thermopylae. I love, I love Greek history. And so the Battle of Thermopylae is King Leonidas. He's the leader of the Spartans. And he takes 300 soldiers to go and fight the Persian Empire that has millions upon millions upon millions. And he meets some Athenians, some men from Athens, and, and they ask Leonidas, is this all that Sparta brings? 300 men. And Leonidas responds and says, if you men think that I rely on numbers, then all Greece is not sufficient. For it is but a small fraction of their numbers. But if on men's valor, then this number will do. Because King Leonidas was a part of a kingdom where from the time that you were born, you were raised for war. And so he's bringing 300 soldiers, professionally trained soldiers, to fight against a military of millions. And yet he knows that his soldiers are better trained because from the time that they were born, they were trained for war. And he knows that the Athenians, they, they're potters, they're blacksmiths, they're farmers. They're not, from the time that, that they're born, trained in the way of war. And so he knows that his soldiers, even though he has 300 of them, are better and will be more efficient in war than what the Athenians have, which was about 1,300. They're looking at King Leonidas and saying, this is all you bring? And Leonidas is saying, no, 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 no. I have way more soldiers than you do. But this is not Israel. Israel is not Sparta. See, Israel is vulnerable. And so God wants them to know of their vulnerability. This is why it's the first act in Numbers is take a census. Know your vulnerability. Because with God, he understands that when we know that we're vulnerable, we're more inclined to ask for help. But when we don't think that we're vulnerable, there's no way. There's no way. Our pride will get in the way and we'll say, no, we can, we can face this challenge. You ever been in that situation where maybe, maybe you are the person that causes the situation where you get lost and you refuse to ask for directions because you're just like, no, 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 I can get us out of this. I don't, I don't need to ask for help. I can get, I can get us out of this, right? Or, or you're trying to, maybe you purchase some furniture at Ikea and Ikea is notorious for this where you start to put it together and all of a sudden what you're looking at is not what the picture looks like. Right? And so you're trying to think, okay, well, where did I go wrong? And somebody asks you, hey, do you need a hand? And you're like, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I got it. I got myself into this mess. I will get myself out of this mess. Right? God does not want his children to be like that. He wants them to recognize that they are vulnerable. Because with vulnerability comes strength. It comes with the strength of knowing that you need somebody else to come alongside. And that two is better than one. And three is better than two. And four is better than three. On up. Paul, knowing this all too well, writing to a church, the church in Corinth, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. God says that the moment we accept our vulnerability is the minute we become strong. The minute that we recognize we have need and we need somebody else, somebody more powerful, more qualified, uh, more wise than we are to step in and help us along the way is the minute that we actually access the power. And so he says, Israel, take a census so you know exactly how vulnerable you are. Take a census. In fact, in Numbers, he, he, God tells Israel not only to take a census, but he shows us something about the valuableness of God's children. He says in verse 
3. From 20 years old and upward, whoever is able to go out to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And then verse 4, with you moreover, there shall be a man of each tribe, each one, head of his father's households. Verse 5, these then are the names of the men who shall stand with you. So not only are they told to make a single military force, but they are to know the names of each individual. And in a time where everything is depersonalized, I mean, we sit behind keyboards and talk at one another because we don't have to sit in the same room. Right? When, when we spend time on media that pushes a specific narrative to us, right? when we don't actually know how to connect with someone that has differences than us, we don't know how to navigate anything that's different than us because we live in a hyper-depersonalized society, God is saying, no, 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 no. Even with the creation of a single military force, you are not to lose sight of the valued, the, 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 just the value of the individual. Because God values every person individually. You might be a part of a local church. You might be a part of God's kingdom. But God knows your name. The creator God knows your name. He knows even your middle name. He knows your maiden name. He knows your last name. He knows your social security number. He knows everything about you. In fact, Jesus puts it this way. Speaking to his disciples, uh, he says... Well, we're going to come back to that verse. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows how many hairs he ha that you have on your head. Now, if you're like me, who's losing their hair, we're making it a little bit easier for God. We are, right? But he knows, even to that finite of a detail, that's how valued you are in the kingdom of God. And so how much more should we value not just the, the numbers behind the church, but each individual in the church. Every individual, because God paid an infinite price for every person individually. And so he doesn't want Israel going out and saying, yeah, 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 we've got this military, and here, here they are, and, and that's the military of Israel. You know, I'm really, I'm really impressed with, uh, um, with one of our church members. Uh, he's going to hate me for this, but his name is Sumesh, and, and he knows. I asked him the other day. He's a, he's, a, he's a Washington football team fan, which obviously puts us at odds because I'm a Cowboys fan. But somehow, God's grace is stronger than that because we're friends. And I asked him and to kind of quiz him because he gives me a hard time about being a Braves fan. He says that I'm, I'm in like a probationary period because I was rooting for the Braves, as if I'm not a real fan. Don Bunch also gives me a hard time, but that's, that's another sermon. But I asked Sumesh. I, just, I asked him. I said, okay, okay. Who's the, I think it was like the third string defensive back of the Washington football team. And he told me who it was. He knows. I mean, this is, what, 53-man roster, right? I mean, 53 names. The person doesn't play very often. In fact, when he gets in, he probably messes up and gets taken out the next play. And yet, he knew the name. God doesn't want us to, to get so caught up in, in corporations and teams, and militaries. He wants us to get caught up in individuals. Every person has value. And so God tells Moses, he speaks to Moses in the wilderness saying, take a census, you're a vulnerable community. Take a census of individuals by name, because I value everyone. And God brought Israel out of slavery, and he says this, he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. 
how God stepped in and he brought plague after plague, but gave the Egyptians an opportunity to say, wow, the God of Israel is stronger than any Egyptian God. We should probably serve that God. He gave them that opportunity. But he rescued Israel out of slavery. And then he says this, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to where? To myself. God's end goal is not the promised land. It is himself. Because he wants to have an intimate one-on-one relationship with each and every one of us. He doesn't want you to live off of the faith of another individual. He does not want you to just be a part of the military to where, you know, they might fight stronger than you. No, he wants you individually to have a relationship with him. Not the pastor, not live off the pastor, not live off your mentor, not live off an elder, not live off the the praying uh, saint that every church has that prays for everyone in the church. No, it's not. He wants you to have a life-giving relationship with him individually because God cares individually. But then he also says that Israel is a privileged community. Now, privilege is something that you do not earn. You don't earn privilege. That's, that's just, that's, that's the definition of privilege. And privilege might mean that you're, you're born, and this, this, this used to be a huge issue for me, you're born and, and you're, you have the genetics to become six foot four, because that's privilege, right? You, you did not choose to be six foot four. You just, you grow to being six foot four. And I used to try to stretch. Now I don't stretch because I realized it was, a, it was a hoax. But I used to try to stretch every day because if I could stretch maybe I could add like one half an inch to my height because I'm vertically challenged I'm five foot eight that's it I had a long way to go to get six four but if I'd been six foot four I believed I would have had an easier path to being a professional athlete it would have been it would have been in the bag but I did not get that privilege see privilege is not something that you earn it's something just given to you and so Israel is a highly privileged individual. What do I mean by that? Well, a highly privileged nation, rather, of individuals. What do I mean by that? Well, let's read Numbers chapter 1. Numbers chapter 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first of the second month, in the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, the Lord spoke. That is how they are privileged. See, they do not have this God that sits on the sideline and says, look, I have told you. I have told you. No, their their God speaks actively, definitively within history. I mean, it gives a day to when God spoke. Would you be able to give a day the last time you heard God speak to you? Would you, would you know the moment? Would you, would you be able to say, this is what he said from last, you know, yesterday at 5.37 p.m. or whatever it was? You could, you could say, yes, this is when God spoke to me. Because God spoke to Israel in very real times, in very real places. He spoke. But he did not just speak. He says that he spoke after he had already acted. Because God is a God that acts. He's not a God that you, 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 you dress up and, and you, you place your Bible on the shelf and you go around saying, yeah, I believe in God. But, you know, I don't, I don't really know what he's up to in my life. I don't really know what he's doing in the world. But I believe in God because I have eternal life. 
That's not, the, that's not the God of the Bible. In Numbers, God is revealed as a God that not only speaks, but speaks to individuals and speaks definitively, but he also acts. He, it says that he spoke in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. And so God went in and he rescued his people. God steps into our situation when we recognize that we are vulnerable and valued, and not only does he bring a word of encouragement, but he brings himself, because he himself is the word. And so Winston Churchill rises to the scene, and he starts to encourage Englishmen and Englishwomen to get through a very dark time, because he mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. And our God is not a passive God. He mobilized his word and sent it into battle on our behalf. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy. Moses says this. He says, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep them and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, they're going to say this, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? How near is God to you today? God, God says that he wants to be near us. In fact, Israel is to go into the, to the promised land. They're to enter the promised land. And other nations are going to look at them and say, wow, where does your wisdom come from? And how come your God is so close to you? In fact, it's almost like you have, have a friendship with the creator God of the world. I mean, that's the best news, that the creator God of the world does not want to, to rule over us in a way that, that is, is tyrannical. No, he wants to be friends with us. And through that friendship, he's also the savior and he's also the king of all the world. That's the God that we serve. Surely this great church is a wise and understanding church. For what great church is there that has a God so near to them as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? I mean, we could say that about our church because why? We are God's people and he knows us individually. He values us individually. He knows the hairs on our head and we are a privileged people because God speaks to us and he speaks definitively to us. But he doesn't just speak to us, he rescues us. Notice, Jesus, uh, Paul writing about Jesus says this in Colossians, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God did not leave us captive to our sin. He did not leave us captive to that, to that habitual uh, cycle where we have these highs and then these lows. No, he came in and he stepped into our position. He spoke a word of encouragement. His son, who is the word, the word in flesh, and came and rescued us from the domain of darkness. Because we have a God that is so near to us. We have a God that speaks to us actively and definitively. But this... This is how we know how God is speaking to us. Because sometimes God speaks and we wonder, God, is that really you? And so this is how we can know definitively that it is God who speaks to us. He says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, and these last days has spoken to us in whom? 
in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And so if you're wondering, how can I know if God is speaking to me? Right? Well, we, we see it through the lens of His Son. And John chapter 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so in these last days, and I believe wholeheartedly, we, we are living in the last days. Now whether or not that's 50 years or 100 years, people have been saying the last days for a while. Because it says, in these last days. But I believe that we live in the last days. And God has spoken definitively to us through His Son, the Word. And so often we let other people speak to us instead of letting God speak to us. And so the question for us today is, who are you listening to? Who are you giving your ears to? Sometimes we, we, we ask God to speak to us and then we leave the Bible on the shelf because we think that it's an older book and there's some stories that we don't quite understand. There are some names that are hard to pronounce and we don't fully grasp it. But I believe wholeheartedly that God speaks through His Word. In fact, I'm immovable on this. Because when I stumbled upon the goodness within the, the confines of this book, I said, no, I'll, I'll never be swayed. Because God spoke to me in a very definitive way, in a very real time, in a very real place, through His Word, and He continues to speak to me today. But it's not just because I'm a pastor. No, because He values us individually. It did not say, only name the generals. It said, no, each one name by name. And so he doesn't just speak to highly regarded officials. No, he speaks to every person individually when we sit down to open up his word. Because we are not only a vulnerable community who need a word spoken to us to get through this difficult time, we are a valued community of infinite value. And we are a privileged community because our God speaks. And so we actually have, we've developed something that can, that can help us hear God speak definitively. Because I believe that God wants to speak to each and every one of us. And so what we've done is we've created a, a series journal guide. We've created a hundred of them. So everyone here should be able to get one. Um, and we didn't know if the Lord was going to allow us to get them printed because the printer that we sent them to, they lost power. And yet we have them because God is more powerful than loss of power. Right? Right? And so, basically what it is, is it is a journal. Now, for those of you, you might say, I'm not a journaler. I, I will raise my hand. I am not a journaler. I know that. I cannot, I'll start one and then I'll get tired of it and I'll just stop. Because I'm not a journaler. However, I can remember the date and the time when the Lord spoke to me through a pastor, Pastor David Hartman, when he came to speak at my college, Friday night vespers, I remember word for word his sermon, and I remember word for word Sabbath morning when he walked us pastoral candidates through how he used his Bible journaling to help him prepare his sermons. I remember it word for word because the Lord spoke to me in a very real place and in a very real time. And so we've taken his journaling method, quite simple, head, heart, hand. And so we've outlined a passage to read as we journey through the book of Numbers for the next nine weeks 62 days of journaling with the head, heart, hand method. 
And so my proposition to you is that if you embark on this journey, not only will you hear God speak to you through the book of Numbers, the book that nobody else wants to read, we will find it in the valleys and in the mountaintops, but the Lord will speak to us. And, and I believe that, and this church believes that, and so we created this resource for you. And so if you want one, they're going to be outside as you're leaving. You will see them. But I, I, want, to, I want to urge you, only take one if you're willing to commit to at least a month of journaling. And if you don't want to take one to commit to a month, it is digital. It's online. You go to our website, you go to the sermons, and it's underneath the sermon series, Rivers in the Wilderness. It's digital. You can pull it up on your phone and try to maybe see if you want to go through it before actually picking up one. But we created this for you because we believe that God is going to speak to us in this moment, in this dark, difficult moment. God is going to speak because we are we're, we're spiritual Israel. We are that, that nation of individuals that have been redeemed from the darkness of sin, the darkness of, of slavery to idols, to, to just, we've been, we've been redeemed. And we celebrated that by baptism. Because God is still at work, still speaking definitively. And so who are we listening to? Are we listening to that political analyst more than God? Are we listening to that sports talk radio more than God? Are we listening to, you know, that, that playlist more than God? Or that, that TV show more than God? Or our friends more than God? Why should we elevate them to that status when he came in the form of a man, a humble man, and rescued us? Should we not listen to him more? Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for the book of Numbers. Lord, we've, we've read the entire first chapter. And yet we know that there is still much more that we can, we can pull out of this. But Lord, you have shown us that, that we are a community that is vulnerable. We need you. We boast in our weakness, Father. Because when we are weak, you are strong. And you step into, into our situation. You step into our hearts. And you do things that are mightier than, than, than anything else in all of creation. And so, Lord, we thank you for not only showing us that we're vulnerable and that that's okay, that's actually a strength, but that we're valued, that you know every hair on our head and that you have rescued us from the domain of darkness because you sent your son to die on the cross for us. But, Lord, we hear the, the third point, which is that we are a privileged community because you speak to us. You have drawn near to us. You have rescued us and brought us to yourself. And so, Lord, may we not give our ears over to, to others before we give them over to you. Because our time, this time, especially in, in Georgia and in America, we are living in a divided time, a divisive time, a time of darkness, and, and we're looking for somebody to step up and to start speaking. Not speaking at us, but speaking to us. And Lord, that is you, and, and we believe it. And so Father, as... Uh, as Alex comes up to, to do another song, we just ask that you'd help us contemplate who is it that we are listening to and help us to, to, to surrender that to you so that we can only hear your words. For that is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen.